and welcome, Mistys, to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries for our and hopefully your amusement. I am your winged host, Gary, with my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hello, Gary. Hey, Goldie Ann. I wanted to do something, but I wasn't sure. Do you know when it is the best time to buy a bird? When's the best time to buy a bird? Yeah. I thought you said we had enough animals already. Well, we do, but I just wanted to get an idea of when is the best time to buy a bird. Um, in the summer. I think the best time is when they are cheap. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Now that we got you in a smiling, happy mood, uh, let's also talk about some of the things we've done in the past here since our last episode. We did a recent trip to New Orleans. And with that, we did a Ghosts, Voodoos, and Vampires. That was a lot of fun because we got to visit, I mean, about a half dozen different voodoo shops. And we did a ghost tour that took us around some of the voodoo and ghost spots, as well as a home of actual New Orleans vampire. It was pretty awesome. We had a cute, good little tour guide with us. That she was very helpful. And definitely want to take advantage of that the next time we go. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we got some material for a future podcast from this trip as well, so look forward to that. Absolutely. Uh, speaking to of our material, I also wanted to talk about, I know I've been promoting our TikTok, where we're doing daily videos of short little two to three minute stories about cryptids, and I was looking through the numbers of views that we're getting and the likes, which I do appreciate you guys viewing and liking. Great. I keep it up. I did want to ask a question to our viewers, though. It seems that our the TikTok video I did on Robert the Doll has only gotten two views since I've done <laughs> it about two weeks ago. I just want to know, is it because people are thinking that listening to the video about Robert the Doll curses them, or they have to ask permission to watch the TikTok video? It's just really interesting when some of the other videos get like three, six hundred views, and Robert's got two. That's crazy. Yes. Just throwing that out there for everyone. And Let us know. Please, yeah. Go to our Facebook page and what is your views on the fact that Robert the Dollar doesn't have the views that everyone else has? Well, not to avoid is today's podcast because today's episode contains encounters with a monstrous creature that some members of our audience might find a bit unsettling. So please be forewarned. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little scared. Well, we might need to stop that. (laughs) (laughs) If Robert's any indication, maybe. Otherwise, listener discretion is always advised. So now, Goldie Ann, let's take a walk within the mist. It was a seemingly average day in Van Meter, Iowa in 1903. However, on the nights of Tuesday, September 29th through October 3rd would be filled with terror, shock, and the sound of giant wings flapping in the night. Today, we discuss the Van Meter Visitor. So the Van Meter Visitor is a cryptid that appeared pretty much out of nowhere. And this is kind of hard to do when you consider its size. 
It was reported by all of the witnesses who saw it as about eight feet tall, man-sized, winged beast. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. So, winged beast like the Mothman? Do we have another Mothman? And it does fit into the Mothman category of being a winged uh, hominid type okay. creature. But it's not. It's not. Okay. And the difference is, one major difference is that the Van Meter visitor has a horn on its head. Oh. That at the tip of the horn shoots out a blinding and disorienting white light. Wow. And it also possessed a defense mechanism that produced an odor that specifically worked to disorient and confuse the people who smelled it. All right. Yes. <laughs> but how did the people of Van Meter find themselves subjugated to such a terror? That would all begin during the earliest hours on September 29th, 1903. Ooh, that's a long time ago. Let me take you there. Okay. Chapter 1. Able to leap tall towers in a single bound. <laughs> the first event took place downtown, right in the heart of the city's business district, which meant that many credible witnesses and town people could come out in defense of seeing the Van Meter visitor. Its first appearance, though, happened at 1 a.m. on September 29, 1903. It had been a warm start to autumn with just the right amount of rain. Local Van Meter resident Eugene Griffith was able to take advantage of this nice weather on that Monday and he made his rounds selling the different farm tools through the area, just as he did every week. Now the warm days and the cool but comfortable nights gave him the luxury of taking his time and relaxing as he returned home to Van Meter after such a long trip. As the area's implement dealer, Griffith had made this trip countless times for his job. And on this early Tuesday morning, something different happened. As he pulled into the hometown of Van Meter at the solitary time of one in the morning, he noticed something different. His attention was drawn to the top of the Mather and Greggs building. On the roof was something unusual and out of place. There seemed to be a light where there had never been one before. Something was casting a spotlight into the night on top of the building. As he continued down the road, he drew closer to the light. He worked through the possibilities of what the light could have been. One of his first thoughts was the most concerning to him. It could have been burglars attempting to break into the building. As this thought passed into his mind, he became cautious as he walked closer to the building hoping not to attract the thieves' attention. However, before he was able to draw very near the building, something unexpected happened, something that he never would have thought of. He must have been relieved, yet very startled, when the light that he had saw at the top of the building mysteriously jumped to the different rooftop all the way across the street. It was suddenly clear that he didn't need to worry about burglars any longer. But he was confused as to what he was watching. There was no way any man could have made such a leap and had done it so quickly. The light appeared on the roof of another building except at the opposite side of the street and his thoughts were, what was that? How could that? What could have moved something so quickly? And as quickly as the unusual light appeared and mysteriously moved across the street, it simply disappeared altogether, leaving him alone in the middle of the streets. 
Unsure of what to do next, Griffith continued on his way home and drifted off to sleep, his mind still circling the unexplained light as he tried to figure it out. Wow, that's kind of cool. But I was, you know, kind of thrown off in the beginning, you know, happy it wasn't burglars, that it was, you know, something flying at him, you know? <laughs> yes. I think I'd want burglars. <laughs> I guess burglars would be a known danger, and whereas the light just bouncing from building to building was unknown, so it wasn't yeah, sure it if it could be really, dangerous or not. Yeah, it didn't really pose him a threat, so. It pretty much didn't even know he was there. Yeah. So it could have been any number of things. But in 1903, you have to realize that there wasn't much in technology. So no. what could produce a light, and especially a light that can move so fast f- across the street? That's pretty interesting. Well, what was even more interesting is that the town awoke the next morning, and they heard about his unusual sighting. Griffiths was an established member in the community of Van Meter, and therefore he was very respected as a person. As a merchant and salesman, the people found his experience intriguing, but it didn't put the town into a fearful frenzy. There was nothing to be concerned about. Something far beyond frenzied fear was to come, and it arrived on the next night. Oh, great. Chapter 2, The Late Night House Call. Now, on this occurrence, the town doctor, Dr. Alcott, kept a room in the rear of his office. He had heard thunderstorms rumbling and flash on the western horizon as he prepared for bed. He preferred to keep his room so close to his office just in case he had late night patients that needed his attention. Hours later, Tuesday evening gave way to the earliest parts of Wednesday morning. In one terrifying moment, the doctor was torn from his slumber by a bright light shining directly in his face through the window. It caused him to awaken and become instantly alert. He was known as a plucky little fellow, so he raced from his bed in his office and grabbed with his skilled hands around his nearby, quote, gun of immense proportions. What the heck? So basically, (laughs) Dr. Alcott had his own pretty much hand cannon. Wow. Which is what every doctor must have in Iowa at this time. Of course. 1903, you know, Mm -hmm. mobsters in Iowa. Well, this was not a light that the doctor recognized. He instantly knew that this wasn't anyone seeking his help for a medical emergency or simply stopping by at an odd hour to see if he was awake for a chat. This was something different. This was something dangerous. So wasting no time, the doctor felt annoyed for whoever woke him up. So he ran outside of the building to confront Conundrum. Here, he was challenged with something that seemed beyond his years of experience. Standing behind the source of the light, Dr. Alcott could make out a half-human and half-animal creature. It even displayed even more mind-boggling traits, such as possessing giant bat-like wings. This strange creature before him continued to baffle his scientific and racing mind. The doctor could start to see where the light was coming from and it only made the mystery more confusing. In the center of the creature's forehead grew a single blunt horn, and the light seemed to be somehow emanating from this blunted horn. It was projecting much like a flashlight does today, or a spotlight back in the 1900s. 
The doctor was close enough to the creature at this point and felt that the only course of action he had was to slay the mysterious and monstrous source of light. His terror was so great that he gripped his gun firmly and he fired at the monster. Not only once or twice, but five fearful shots were hurled at the beast. He had to quickly rethink his approach to the creature after not even one of his shots having any noticeable effect. With only one remaining round, Dr. Alcott quickly retreated back into his office. I thought you were going to say he turned the gun on himself. Like, oh God! Well, the story's not over yet. <clears throat> okay. Because once he was inside, the doctor quickly locked the doors and frantically moved to do the same to his windows. Sleep was not easy to come by and likely with gun in hand, Dr. Alcott awaited the comfort of life that was brought on by the morning. He kept wow. the, According to some rumors, he kept the one round should the creature burst into the office right. and into his bedroom. Right. Not for the creature, but for himself. Oh, heck yeah. Wow. So that's what happened to unicorns, huh? <clears throat> no, not my poor, furry, beautiful unicorns. <laughs> okay. My Pegasus. No, not my very sweet, beautiful I'm Pegasus. I'm pretty sure this doesn't qualify as a Pegasus either. Okay. Um, first of all, I'm pretty sure he would have recognized it as being horse-like, even with wings and a horn. But this had large bat-like wings and was eight feet tall on hind legs with bat-like wings and the blunt horn. Mothman screwed a unicorn. <laughs> Are you keeping Only that in? your mind could go there. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> now, with such a unique, unexplainable night, the doctor woke the next morning and had to tell everyone about it. Obviously, someone would believe him. Those that heard Dr. Alcott's story must have had disbelief written on their faces. To them, how could someone as respectable as the town doctor be trusted with their well-being and tell such stories about an terrifying encounter in the darkest of nights? It was almost as if his credibility was ruined in one swift motion of telling the story of the Van Meter visitor. What, he's not allowed to be drunk? Well, he wasn't accused of being drunk, but he was accused of telling tall tales. Wow. That's kind of a lot to just ruin your credibility over. Well, you're, talking, mean, about small, you're talking about a small town and coming up with such a wild story. Yeah. But and they knew the guy. You know? Yeah, and for the rest of Wednesday, the town was full of whispers of Dr. Alcott's near-harrowing encounter. And for those who had heard about Griffith's unusual sightings of the acrobatic light the night before, things were starting to add up. But they just didn't make any sense. Okay. So you had, they were talking about Dr. Griffiths, I mean, not Dr. Griffiths, Dr. Alcott, and they were talking about Griffiths having two different encounters and believing that they were the same thing. Right. But what kind of thing was it? Okay. Now, for anyone dismissing the reports out of hand or thinking that the two men just were making up stories, more witnesses were soon to be created. So why didn't they just get together and talk about it? Well, they kind of did, but the social activities of that time usually ended up in a saloon or oh, in a yeah. diner. And, and then they were drunk. That's usually when, yeah, people <laughs> are drinking and telling tall tales. Right. So it really wasn't the best environment. Now, these two men were telling their stories, 
and in short order the sun was about to set on wednesday and the moon was going to peer out from a cloudy nighttime sky to create even more witnesses of the so this was happening night after night two nights in a row now like a lot of our stories are like years later there's another sighting this this happened on night one and then the next night and now we're on night three in a row dang so night three is chapter three defending the bank huh okay once again the van meter visitor made his nightly round this night he shined down onto a watchful clarence dunn as he walked alone through the quiet night he was only kept company that evening by a silent and just a sliver more than a half moon peering out from between the clouds dunn was on a steadfast mission and he would not be deterred no matter what was going on in the dark shadows Clarence was widely respected as the cashier for the Van Meter Bank. So respected by his neighbors, he would be promoted to bank manager and hold several city positions, including mayor, over the next few decades. On this night, however, he was simply a man, alone in the dark, who left the safety of his home and family to watch over the bank. Wow. Okay. Fearing robbers were perhaps the source of the town's excited sightings, Clarence was determined to introduce them to his committed character. And to help steady his nerves, he carried his trusty shotgun packed (laughs) with a load of buckshot. This armed man finally reached the bank and the young cashier settled in for the long night's watch. Just as on the previous two nights, nothing occurred until around 1 a.m. As the town clock struck one, that's when he heard another noise and it wasn't one that he was expecting. This wasn't the sound of thieves, and it wasn't the sounds of people trying to break into the bank. At first, it almost sounded like garbled gas for air by some unseen creature, whether it be a wild animal or a person. Clarence thought that perhaps someone was strangling outside and unable to breathe. And before he could investigate further or listen longer, A sudden, mysterious light shined fully upon him through the front window. The light was so bright that he was blinded. Then, just as suddenly as it came on, the light turned off of him, and it must have been a huge relief. The light moved from the window, and it darted about the room of the bank, and the guardian of this bank was able to get a better glimpse of the source. His eyes soon became adjusted to the darkness and he saw a huge form of some kind and it began to reveal itself. Suddenly the light swung back and was directly on him once more. This time Clarence's nerves couldn't stand it any longer. Steadying the barrel of his shotgun towards the creature he fired point blank. In his fear he didn't give chase to the creature outside or even open a window caused him to fire his shot and shatter the glass and part of the sash for the bank. Then there was silence and nothing else. As quickly as the light appeared, the creature disappeared. A more thorough search was made as soon as dawn broke six hours later. Clarence was convinced that he had killed the creature, but nothing remained except for a few tracks. In true modern cryptozoologist form, he utilized materials and made a plaster cast of what were called Great Three-Toes Tracks. So there were tracks left behind? There was actual footprints outside of the bank, right where he shot through the front window at the creature. 
And he was convinced that he had hit it and killed the creature, but it was gone. The only thing left was these footprints that he created plaster casts of, much like people do nowadays in Bigfoot tracks. That's cool. Yeah, I wouldn't say he would have killed it if there was no blood and no nothing, no evidence. That's kind of cool. They got a, a footprint. Well, the problem is, is that to this day, the location of those footprint casts is missing. Oh, of course they are. <laughs> of course they are. So it was reported that he made the casts, but what happened to them after that is kind of a mystery in and of itself. Mm-hmm. As the rest of Van Meter, Iowa awoke and began their daily routines, generally most townspeople took the terrifying things that happened in the dark and forgot about them in the light of day. So even though everyone was afraid of the darkness, when day- daylight came, they were kind of laughing off and they treated it as a joke. So again, you had three witnesses having terrifying encounters, but the rest of the town wanted to ignore it and treat it as if it didn't actually occur. They didn't want to admit that there was a monster flying around their town in the middle of the night. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to admit it either, but I'd, I kind of want to find out. Find it out is what's the people did the next night. Chapter 4, Target on the Telephone Pole. So just like the first three previous nights, the fourth night, things were quiet until the striking moment in the, at 1 a.m. again. O.V. White was jolted awake by this abrupt rasping racket emanating from just outside his second-story room on Main Street. White had kept his lodgings over the Fisher and White hardware store that he co-owned. Again, he was concerned about thieves and was keeping a close watch over his supplies and his store. He wasted no time in arming himself, likely hearing the talk of some mysterious monster terrorizing the town at night. He may have already had a good idea of what he was in for when he grabbed his gun and moved towards his window. Maybe he should have grabbed something else if he really would have fallen in the stories. Where's the flamethrowers back then? 1903, I'm pretty sure on the drawing board. (laughs) Gun was all he had, and that's all he took with him. The noise was so scraping on his nerves that he quickly opened his window and peered out into the darkness and the rain and was looking for what was causing such a bewildering clatter. At first, he couldn't see anything appearing. As his eyes adjusted to the night darkness, he detected a figure on the cross member of the telephone pole. It only took him a few moments for him to believe that he was staring right at the monster that everyone was talking about. The creature was scarcely 15 feet away, and the now determined Mr. White took his gun and made a deliberate aim at the creature. The creature didn't fall to the ground as an ordinarily good shot that White was expecting. Instead, at the very moment he fired, its light turned and focused on him. The shot from his gun didn't seem to have any effect on the creature other than to wake it up on the telephone pole. His heart jumped to a terrifying realization. He may not have had any way to defend himself from the monster. The creature was bulletproof. At this time, he then realized that there was a powerful odor suddenly filling the air. The smell was being emitted from the monster and was so strong that it seemed to stupefy him. Oddly enough, he couldn't remember anything more that happened to him that night. 
what they, what they would have described the smell. He couldn't remember anything about it, just that there was an unusual smell and he found himself on the floor. But that wasn't all that was occurring that night because as the shot rang out, it awoke the neighbor, uh, Greg. Torn from his slumber, he raced towards his door to see what the commotion was about. When he opened his door and he peered out on the main street of Van Meter, he saw the most curious creation climbing down the telephone pole. Now he had a different view of the creature as he was sleeping in his store just across the corner from where White fired upon the monster. So he'd be able to see the wings and stuff. Correct. In fact, he watched in dumbstruck disbelief as the monster descended the telephone pole pretty much the same way a parrot does. (laughs) It used its great beak and shimmied down the pole. Once it was able to reach the ground, it stood up on its hind legs, and by Greg's estimates, it was at least eight feet high. Whatever it was, the light from its forehead was as bright as any electric headlight. The light darted around just as it had nights before in a searching motion. Mr. Greg continued to watch on, doing his best to process this entirely baffling being, even as the creature flapped its great featherless wings. With the flapping of its wings, the creatures would take giant leaps, almost like that of a kangaroo. Just then, the fast mail train came tearing down through the town just on schedule. To the creatures standing a mere 15 feet away from Greg, this noise seemed very unfamiliar and startled it. The creature only paused for a moment and then ran off on all fours heading towards the old coal mine and disappeared. Greg, clearly flustered by the inexplicable night's events, only then remembered that he had a gun at his side, but it was too late to use it. That's all in one night. Whoops, that's all in one night. In this night, yes. Yeah, I was sitting here thinking, when you said electric headlight, I'm like, electric headlight? It was 1909. So I had to look it up, but yeah, they were well. Yes, they had electricity (laughs) back in 1904. But they weren't using it as prominently as you would think. That's why for done on the very first night, that would have been very unusual seeing a spotlight on top of the building. Why would they need it? What would they be using it for? And to be sure, the whispers of the events that were cloaked in the dark around Van Meter were now full-blown conversations. and People actually were arguing throughout the town. Yeah, because so many people had seen it now. Correct. Now you had four <coughs> eyewitnesses and four credible people that right. wouldn't be just making up stories. Did they apologize to the doctor? That I'm not aware of. I would hope so. <laughs> and pretty much after all the theories that didn't fit had been put forward and all the questions that remained unanswered, people were starting to get scared. In fact, Professor Martin of Van Meter Southside High School pronounced that the Van Meter visitor was some sort of an antediluvian monster. Oh. Colorful way of saying biblical proportions. So for him, the Van Meter visitor was a basically a demon. Awesome. And all of the people of Van Meter were starting to be afraid to come out at night. Yeah. This buildup of fear then led off to Chapter 5, The Mm -hmm. Standoff at the Old Abandoned Mine. Uh Uh-oh. Now, as the townspeople began to see the monster everywhere (laughs) and in every shadow... Of course. The men at the mine, located at the edge of town, had new reports. It seems that 
at the Thailand Brick Factory, there were work crews that worked both day and night. These workers were hearing noises for some time that came from the nearby mine shafts, which had been shut down a few years prior. Not just noises, but the people reported sounds that the most fearful mind can respond reported as though, quote, Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for a battle. Wow. I guess out of a mine shaft, maybe. Mm-hmm. People had some weird thoughts back then. In fact, the operations manager, a J.L. Platt Jr., who was there early Saturday morning when the mysterious noises came from the old mine shaft, he was able to peer down into the dark borehole. And in a flash of a moment, the monster appeared at the entrance of the mine directly in front of him. I'm sure it frightened him, and the moment was not over. Because as he was looking into the mine, directly behind the first monster, there appeared another one, although somewhat smaller version of the Van Meter visitor. Hmm. Now both creatures came out of the mine and gave off a brilliant light that was as striking as it was blinding. The two creatures launched into the night and the workers discovered where their lair was. Okay. This documented or is this, this is all was this part we're, yeah, what they gonna, said? No, this is what I'm going to put in uh, later. All of this is coming from basically the Des Moines uh, newspaper, which was reported after all these events had happened. Okay. So this so is after these four the nights newspaper. on the fifth night. Yes. They were down in the mine and they discovered the lair. They weren't in the mine. They were working at the tile and brick factory, which is right next to the mine. Okay. Now, the mine had been closed off and wasn't being utilized anymore. Ah. But the workers at the tile and brick factory heard the noises, so their operations manager went over to the mine to look down into it to see what was causing the noise. Right. Even more striking was that behind it was a smaller one. Oh, no baby. Possibly. So now they know where the creatures have their nests. And they're nesting in the old abandoned mine. The latest sightings at the mine shaft spread speedily through the town, even at that late hour. Men gathered to hatch a hasty plan of ambush for the monsters. They geared up with their most trusted guns and headed out into the <laughs> Go night. Go with the guns again. They were determined to put these creatures down no they, matter they what. They don't talk to their friends, do they? That part of the story must have got left off. Now, as they left the confines of their homes, all of the houses had their electric lights turned on. Pretty much the terrified people knew that as they moved through town to the old mines, the lights all over town were turned on in hopes to offer those people who were left behind protection and to frighten off the monsters. Soon, as the people walked through the town, there was a crowd of men and guns gathered near the entrance of the mine. The plan to attack the creatures was very simple. They would basically rid the earth of them when they returned back to the nest. <laughs> then the waiting began. And the waiting. And even more waiting. In fact, they waited for at least four hours with nothing but their nervous thoughts and conversations be to keep them company. Nothing returned to the old mind area. Not sign of the larger creature, not sign of the smaller one. Even though the watch never wavered, they just kept out sight for the night sky. Just when the depression of defeat was starting to 
affect the psyche of the men, someone noticed something. The dark-figured, eight-foot-tall creature with the huge bat-like wings was spotted in the air as it approached the old mine. Not far behind it was the second, smaller creature. Now those men who were still gathered at the mine fired at the two creatures. And in a moment, their considerable guns fired countless times at the beasts. It is recounted that, quote, the reception received would have sunk the Spanish fleet. <laughs> These men fired so many guns and so many rounds of ammunition at the creatures. However, the creatures added to this chaotic situation with their own thunderous and unearthly noises in response to the bullets. The men were forced to watch in bewildered trepidation as the creatures felt no effect from the bullets and casually and slowly descended the shaft of the old mine. As the last man fired his last bullet, there was a surreal silence that affected the entire area of the factory. Hmm. Once the men realized that their best hopes of stopping the creatures had no effect and they could not accomplish their goal, Something else creeped back into their confidence. They were afraid. The once warriors now began to disperse and headed back home. Now, action was needed, and a force of men set to work to barricade the mouth of the mine. There might have been another way out, and the creatures could have flown away into the night. Or, the skeletons are still deep inside the mine to this day. In either regard, Neither creature was ever seen in Van Meter again. Oh, that's awesome. So I wonder if that mine is still blocked up. Or yes. Or it's still closed off. So people haven't gone to check. I guess there hasn't been any real... I mean, kids, teenagers, well, vandals. What I'm saying is is that they closed it off. And I mean, they closed it off. They're, they're, they would basically have to remine the mine to get access into the the tunnels and the shafts at this point awesome i mean you figure you have an eight foot creature right. with a, you know all that power and stuff they wanted to make sure he wasn't getting out wow. and if he can't get out we can't get i in. guess i'm just thinking the mine with a bunch of boards on it no knock, it was knock, a knock. lot please more do not that. enter remember hammer nail 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 no remember this was right next to a brick factory yeah, they had plenty of materials to block it up correctly. They could have used some dynamite and just blown down the front of the mine. I don't remember reading them getting that severe with it. It just basically says that they blocked off the entrance. Yeah, because they could have used the dynamite on the dang thing. I could have helped. Mm -hmm. Well, now you have the entire story and the encounters pretty much over the five days right. of Van Meter. So now we can start talking about the different theories of what the Van Meter visitor actually is. Now, of course, we're going to start with the skeptical side. And the first part is that it, this all was a hoax. I was going to say, I can't find anything that could be a theory to this. You were asking about the newspapers, if this was all recorded. Right. And it was. However, Van Meter didn't have its own newspaper during this period. Instead, most news was processed through the nearby Des Moines Daily News. And unfortunately, all the information regarding the creature and the encounters was written in an article by H.H. Phillips, who really wasn't even there at the incidents. You'll notice I didn't mention H.H. Phillips during any of the encounters. Right. 
but he wrote the articles about what had happened, and these were published on October 4th, 1903. Okay. His article was then followed by two more articles during the following days looking to debunk or at least explain the circumstances. The author of these articles is unknown, but there is speculation that the articles were also written by H.H. Phillips himself to maintain interest in the story of the Van Meter Visitor. Mm. So there is one theory that suggests that Phillips exercised imagination and exaggerated the circumstances concerning the events in Van Meter. Maybe he was hoping to create a better news story, and because he was a freelance writer and journalist, he was trying to make a name for himself. Right. Now we have to assume that the information occurred exactly in the way he reported it, even though there is no supporting evidence from any actual eyewitnesses. So none of the people that were involved in the story ever wrote anything or publicized, published anything about the incident. So if you want to know about the Van Meter visitor, you have to utilize Phillips News article as your only information. Well, that's not fun. That makes it hard. This could have been a story of a bank robber with aspects of the supernatural thrown in by Phillips just to make it a better story. <laughs> However, the residents of Van Meter didn't take any actions to correct the story, and they didn't demand a correction to the, to the news article. So their silence does lean credit that they agreed with the majority, if not all the information in the article. Hmm. Also, Phillips was never accused of falsifying any information in any other article before or after this one. So there's no reason to accuse him of fabricating right. this story if he's huh. never done it on any other story. So he's kind of innocent until proven guilty. Right. That's kind of interesting touch there right so it kind of destroys the whole hoax theory hmm. now also we have to consider this is what i was waiting for yeah this has always got to be utilized the misidentification theory what in the world could you misidentification misidentify this ass that's a, that's just it i mean <laughs> an attempt to explain the creature as a simple misidentification of another animal is impossible that's to right. support. that's why i'm like what theory there is the none that match the size, the wings, much less the horn and the bioluminescence. Mm -hmm. All in one creature, right. it just doesn't happen. In fact, the golden eagle is the only local winged animal that could even come close to the size. They're but not that big. I know it's only been documented. It has only been documented smaller than five feet long. Right. So it doesn't come close to the eight foot in size. Much less. Where would they get the horn from? And they said that the, they didn't mention any feathers. It was all bat-winged. Right. It was all skin. There was no feathers or hair mentioned. Yeah. So it just doesn't fit a being an eagle. Right. Now, the only misidentified suspect that has any possibility is that these were indeed robbers utilizing disguises and lanterns to commit nighttime crimes. Yeah. However, this sounds more like an episode of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the, you hear, you see, watched all those uh, cartoons as a kid where some monster is scaring away the locals, and it turns out that it's not a, really a ghost or a it's monster. It's meddling a, kids. It's a man in the mask. Huh. So, wow. there really is no misidentification of, of no. this type of a creature. So then we have to basically talk about the undiscovered species theory. Uh, to support this, the Van Meter visitor isn't the only winged cryptid of the American West. 
most famous are Thunderbirds, which are a widespread part of Native American cultures. I was going to say, aren't they Native American? Correct. And Iowa is in the West and is part of that region of where Thunderbirds occur. Hmm. There have been hundreds of accounts of modern-day sightings every you know few years. Could this Van Meter creature be a throwback pterodactyl such as the Thunderbird? That would be awesome. Or... Could it be more humanoid, as if it was an alien or supernatural creature like the Mothman of West Virginia? You already make correlations to the Mothman. The coincidences of the frequency of winged cryptids in this area means that the Van Meter is not as much of an isolated event as it would appear at first glance. Right. So there's a lot of supporting evidence that winged cryptids do exist, and the Van Meter is a just another type of winged cryptid. Right. I do want to mention one last thing that could have supported that this was an undiscovered creature, the mysterious footprint. <sighs> now, the last topic I want to cover is the footprint cast that our bank teller made the following morning after his encounter with the creature. It was said that he created it from the multiple footprints outside the bank. And it was said to have had three toes. Right. This footprint would have helped support the case that the Van Meter visitor was an actual creature. However, that footprint cast has disappeared and there's no information of where it went. This key piece of evidence could have helped in so many ways to prove or disprove the theories of the Van Meter visitor. Absolutely. Well, perhaps it is simply sitting in one of the Van Meter buildings in some basement inside of a dusty box waiting to be rediscovered. Yeah. Now, wouldn't that be a find? (laughs) It would be. You're digging through your closet, and all of a sudden you come up with a box. You open up the the lid of the box, and there's this cast of a three-toed footprint. (laughs) But until that happens, the mysterious footprint's as much of a story in of itself so what does van meter think of this van meter very much embraces it in fact as far as part of popular culture is concerned there is the van meter festival ah now the first festival was held in 2013 and has been held every september since except for i think last year because of the covid and it basically celebrates the strange and spooky legends from long ago in the city of van meter iowa awesome and it draws a large amount of tourist trade hmm so now we've taken all of the encounters and the stories behind right. them and all the possible theories about what the Van Meter visitor is. What are some of your final opinions? Uh, I, I don't know, you know, because I keep saying Mothman, you know, this just got to be just another, you know, variation of it. But you mentioned Thunderbirds. You know, I'd never even thought about that prospect. And that's, that's, you know, perfect for it, actually. Yeah. Other than the feathers. Stuff. Well, there is a lot of story that goes behind the Thunderbirds, and they definitely deserve their own episode. Absolutely. But a lot of the theories behind what the Thunderbirds are is that they are pterodactyls, Spirits. dinosaurs, that didn't go as extinct as people say. Right. Whereas you have the Loch Ness Monster, which is a, uh, a dinosaur throwback. So are the the Thunderbirds. Right. And if the Thunderbirds can be a throwback dinosaur, then so can the Van Meter Visitor. Right. Regardless, the townspeople who are very credible, you know, you had doctors, you had bankers, you have all these respectable people all having these encounters. It's kind of amazing that this story has lasted since 1903. Yeah. 
Well, uh, being sure to wear my sunglasses tonight, I suppose this is a good time to make our way out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. We'd like to give special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for our introduction music. For those who want to learn more about the Van Meter Visitor, be sure to check out The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown by Chad Lewis, Noah Voss, and Kevin Lee Nelson. This was the book that provided pretty much all of the information that I had in today's episode. Another source that you can utilize is The Visitation, an account of the Van Meter Visitor by Lewayne L. White. Both of these books are excellent for those who want to learn more about the Van Meter Visitor. We would like to ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to this podcast on to help promote our show. Now we are on social media such as Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok and would love to hear your stories and opinions about your encounters with ghosts and maybe flying creatures of your own. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast. And we have an email at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share. We love stories and hearing about your own personal experiences. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the Van Meter Visitor, and we'll come again for another episode next week. Please spread the word to your friends who would enjoy listening to our tales about cryptids, ghosts, and other things that go bump in the night. Until then, we hope you make your way out of the mist safely and perhaps a little bit more curious. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.